Injured at work in a motor vehicle accident or had a fall in a public space? Speak to Your Claim Lawyers, a no-win, no-fee, personal injury claims law firm that specialises in maximising compensation claims for injured people. Call 1-800-YOUR-CLAIM or yourclaimlawyers.com.au. Thorpe is coming in, gold and a world record. Ian Thorpe, the birth of a legend. 458 is the total, out of which Bradman has made 309 not out. to world's record. ball in test cricket in England for Shane Warne. And he's done it. He started off with the most beautiful delivery. Australia is back on the biggest stage. Welcome to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals. Celebrating lives. Here's your host, Sam Edmund. everybody and welcome to the show. As always, we're here for our friends at Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Well, today we're speaking to a former Geelong defender who was as loved by fans as he was respected by rivals. Harry Taylor played 280 games for the Cats, helping the club win two premierships and earning two All-Australian spots after being taken as a mature age recruit in 2007. Excellent on the field, and I hope he doesn't mind us saying so, a tad eccentric off it. He last year put the full stop on a marvellous 13-season career. We're talking the weird and wonderful world of Harry Taylor. Welcome, Harry. Thanks for joining us. No worries at all, guys. Thanks very much for having me on. Retirement has taken you home, hasn't it? Where, where do we find you at the moment? Yeah, so back in the Midwest of WA, um, spending some time at the moment back where it all started for me um, in that Midwest region. Um, all our family is still over here. And um, yeah, I feel a real connection to the land, the water, and certainly the people around this area. And um, although, you know, I loved Geelong for the time I was there, it probably just felt like the right move at this stage of our life to come back and be a bit closer to our family. So you're back in Northampton specifically? No, Geraldton at the moment. Um, so not far away from Northampton, we sold our farm where I originally grew up and uh, mum and dad live in the, well, the city, if you like, the, the town of uh, Geraldton now. So um, yeah, it's sort of where we're calling home at the moment. You have slipped back into the lifestyle if Geraldton's a big smoke and you're pulling the boots on now, aren't you, Harry? You're giving back to the club where it all started. Yeah, so I'm um, going to play a few games for that original club being Northampton, uh, the Rams and I have so many great memories growing up as a kid, as, as most people would, um, with their junior footy club. Um, you know, watching um, some of the stars of that time run around and you know, getting the goal, uh, the ball from behind the goals, and, and trying to get dad to give me a couple of dollars to get a packet of Sandboy chips and a few lollies and. <laughs> All those types of things are fantastic, and I guess I just want my uh, kids to be able to see and experience those things as well. Yeah, I think you played under 12s and maybe even in a few other age brackets alongside a certain West Coast spearhead by the name of Josh Kennedy. Now, I don't want to retire Josh by any means, Harry, but have you tapped him on the shoulder about returning? You at one end, he at the other? Yeah, we've spoken about that a few times, actually. Um, Obviously, played on him so many times at AFL level now, and we've got a great relationship. And um, we'd you know, do a few training sessions together uh, in our off seasons, but wouldn't it be great, uh, especially for the town, if you know we'll play a couple of games together? I'd certainly really enjoy it. Hopefully he would too, and you know Paddy Cripps, Jamie Cripps, they're both from up that way as well. But I dare say they've probably got a few more years in the game before uh, they retire. You painted the picture of it before, I guess farm life in Northampton. What was that like? What was childhood like for for a young Harry Taylor? And when did you start playing the game that would become such a huge part of your adult life? Yes. Yeah, so um, the farm life first, we grew up 30 kilometres from Northampton, so pretty well in the middle of nowhere. We were, you know, not too far away from the beach, but 
very small farm. We didn't have a great deal of land by the time I came along. We were more into flowers, veggies, and a few things like that. Obviously had some sheep and other those more traditional um, income streams as well, but um, we downsized a fair bit by the time I came along. So hardworking parents probably, you know, did everything they could for their kids, myself and my sister, in terms of working really hard to, to earn money for us and give us an opportunity. On the farm, I guess, I, I did a lot of things by myself. My sister wasn't that uh, fond of kicking the footy with me, and I wasn't that uh, fond of playing Barbies. So we'd go and do our own go and do our own things. And, you know, for me, that meant probably going for a lot of walks, playing footy in the backyard by myself, Lego, all those types of things that kids do. I guess I, I probably, um, I, I often talk about it nowadays to people, how my self-belief and self-reflection, um, obviously people know about all the diaries and things I've kept. I guess that was where that started way back then, you know. Sitting, sitting on the bus coming back from from school would take about an hour, and it wasn't the, the you know the social media or the phones to to attract your attention. You had to just sit there and stare out the window. And I guess that was a way that I started to build that self reflection. I talked to myself and asked myself questions about how I was going and what I had on the next day, those types of things. And that probably helped me just develop some of those quirky habits, which people sort of know me for a bit now, but. Um, that's sort of the side of it from a football, uh, from a farming sense and growing up sense. And the football was all because of Tony Modra. I remember him taking a hanger over Richard Champion back in the day, and that was something on TV that caught my eye. And Gee, so you were an Adelaide Crows supporter, weren't you, Harry? I was, yeah, yeah. Tony Modra. I'm not sure exactly why. No, I think it was a combination of that incident or that mark. And, yeah, the colours on TV, they caught my eye. You know, back then we obviously didn't have all the great things we do now from a media point of view with footy. And uh, I used to just love watching whatever game was on at the time, it was generally only sort of one or, one or two a week. But Adelaide jumped out for me, and, and Tony Modra certainly jumped out of the TV on plenty of occasions and caught my eye. So you made the hour-long commute to and from Geraldton Grammar School there, Harry. Was this where you met the lovely uh, Michelle Judice, though, your future wife? Weren't you uh, schoolyard sweetheart, so to speak? Yeah, we were, yeah. She was a friend of my sister's, and I um, actually met her just after I, uh, just after I finished school. Um, she was... Um, at school, obviously, the same school with my sister, so sort of knew slight, not knew of her a little bit, but not that much. And it was actually a grand final day, which is, is a little bit ironic in some ways. But West Coast were playing Sydney, and um, we were having a few um, sort of drinks at my, I think it was my house, and I turned up and had the shirt off, and you know, <laughs> at 17, thought I looked pretty good with the, all the uh, warts and pimples all over me, and um, you know. <laughs> probably weighing 65 kilos but thought I looked pretty good so I had the shirt off I'm not sure why but <laughs> he must have thought that this sort of bloke either looks okay or he's crazy enough to wear no shirt and might be worth talking to a bit longer so that's how it sort of started for us and yeah 10 years later happily married with three great kids and um, yeah still uh, really love each other each and every day Fantastic and you, your kids James, Isabel and Abigail growing up as fast as the speed of light I'm sure Hey when it comes to the school Harry tell me about the Pierre de Coubertin award have I pronounced that correctly you 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 were you featured in that and you, you won a trip overseas is that right yeah yeah you've done very well there with the pronunciation far better than what I uh, what I can do he was the founder of the modern Olympics he was the guy that started the idea of getting people together and yeah competing in different events so the awards basically he recognizes uh, people kids athletes students all over Australia and it's recognizing their abilities in sport in social sort of community centered uh, activities as well as the academic um, and from what I gather, schools nominate people who they think uh, might be sort of worthwhile nominating, and then you go through a selection process after that. And I was fortunate enough to be selected for the WA, for the WA state representative, I guess. And yeah, we had seven or eight people from around Australia, all went over to Italy for 
what was like a big conference, if you like. So all sorts of, you know, backgrounds, demographics, all, it was just amazing, all these different students from all over the world in the one place. And we talked about a few, you know, social issues of the time. This was going back to about 2003. Talked about that, learned a few different things. And um, yeah, it was, uh, it was a really great experience for me. So you finished school, you've met Michelle, but what took you south to Perth, Harry? So I studied physiotherapy. I had a year off after school and then headed down to Perth for uh, university to study physio. Got into that and um, yeah, sunk my teeth into that. And yeah, really was really enjoying it. And, and wanted to play some footy somewhere. So um, I went along to East Frio for a couple of trainings to see how it would go. They were the zone up here in the Midwest. So you sort of had to go there the way it works in, in WA. And yeah, fortunate enough that the new coach, Dave Dunbar at the time, gave me a uh, gave me a shot. And in the three years you were at East Frio, Harry, you, you started working as a labourer. I think you were a bricklayer at the time. What, what was the thinking there? Because I, I think going back from what I've read, you thought that might help your footy? Yeah, so I had a year off between school and university. I was, as I said a little bit earlier, a pretty skinny kid who had a good work ethic but uh, probably wasn't built um, and ready for AFL football. So I went and uh, worked at a, a brickworks, just uh, lifting, you know, different bricks and blocks and making them. It was, um, you know, pretty basic stuff but really important stuff uh, for the company I worked for. And one great thing about it was it uh, allowed you to actually build up some of your strength. I sort of you know, growing up on the farm, so I had a little bit of strength, but certainly not to the level that I needed. And that this was one way, I guess, to help with that. And yeah, it was it was a, a challenging at times, but certainly really helped me build a bit of resilience, which I certainly credit helped me play so many games in my career without missing too many with injury. So you're 21, Harry, when Geelong take you with pick 17 in the 2007 National Draft. Looking back on it now, do you have an understanding of when the Cats and obviously their famed recruiter Stephen Wells first saw you? No, not really. No, I've, uh, I have had a bit of a chat to Wellsy since about that sort of stuff. But what I remember is going along to the state screening. Um, each state had a, a combine, if you like. I think they might still do it nowadays. Went along to that. We did a few events. There was a, a 20-metre sprint, the B-Pest jump as high as you can. don't think we did an agility test. There certainly wasn't any kicking or skills at that point in time in the testing. But I remember finishing the beep test, um, you know, pretty well out of breath. Stephen Wells and, and Luke Williams, who was sort of his assistant at the time, came over and said, from what I can um, remember pretty clearly, is um, how, how are you going? And do you think you'd be able to play on some of the, the big forwards in the game? I think it was Rocker was one name mentioned. Uh, might have been Jonathan Brown, another one. And uh, I'm not sure you know, what came over me, but I said, you know, I'd, 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 uh, I'd like the challenge. I'm certainly going to get beaten on, on, on occasions, probably going to get some goals kicked on me, but I'll certainly love the challenge and, and try to learn as much as I can. And I guess, yeah, way back there, that conversation probably set me on my way to how I played my entire career. I got goals kicked on me. Um, I certainly got beaten plenty of times, but I also always made sure I prepared as best I could for that challenge and, and never ran away from that challenge, whether it be a grand final or a, um, a pre-season game. Now you had the trip to Italy as a youngster, Harry, but as a country lad, you hadn't done a lot of travel, which is more than fine. But is, is it fair to say you didn't quite know where Geelong was on the map? No idea. No idea at all. <laughs> They'd obviously played a few games um, against West Coast through the 90s and had a good rivalry, but I consider myself relatively geographic in some ways, but uh, certainly had no idea where Geelong was. thought it was... A suburb of Melbourne, sort of how Mandra would be in Perth, if, if that makes sense to anyone listening. So I um, had a lot to learn. I um, yeah, I vividly remember first driving down, going past the Ford factory, and um, <laughs> unfortunately, that's not the best part of of Geelong when you first drive in. And 
I thought, gee, this is um, this is going to be uh, this is going to be amazing. Raining? It was cold. Yes, it was very cold. It was um, overcast. But where we were in sort of early November, so um, yeah, unfortunately, probably in the 13 years since, we didn't get a great deal of sunshine. <laughs> You're listening to this is your sporting life. All thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, the family-owned business since 1934. Well, Harry Taylor, he was brought to Geelong to fill the void left by the injured Matty Egan, and it soon became clear he was more than capable of doing that. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, great to have your company on This Is Your Sporting Life, made possible by Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. We're with the former Geelong star, Harry Taylor. Harry, you arrive at Kininia Park to join a side coming off a dominant 2007 Premiership win. What, what were those first couple of weeks like at the Cat? Uh, yeah, they were amazing for me. Jimmy Bartell had just won the uh, Brownlow medal, so it was my second weekend in Geelong. I remember going to Crown, uh, Crown Towers, and uh, his manager, who I actually have the same manager, um, got him a nice sort of villa right up the top, you know, to say well done, congratulations. So I was sitting in this room with the Brownlow medalist Jimmy Bartell, surrounded by all these other superstars who I'd seen on TV, in probably one of the best rooms that I'd ever seen in my life, or certainly was the best room I'd ever seen in my life. Talking about footy and, uh, you know, talking about all the things that were great about our life, and uh, that was my second week in, so I thought, geez, it's going to be probably uh, very, very hard to uh, keep this up, so um, expect a few few low points along the way. Uh, it's not going to probably be like this forever. You weren't the shy type, though, Harry. I mean, you weren't arrogant, but you certainly you had a confidence in your ability even at that age. And it, and it was reported over the journey that at around that time at the club, you stood up in front of the playing group and said, "I'm here to help you guys win." Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, similar to that. It was probably um, you know I might have put it slightly different with a couple of metaphors, potentially <laughs> some words that were a big bit expletive that we shouldn't use but um, <laughs> I guess the crux of it was just yeah I'm here to try to help the team as best I can and I guess you know that probably speaks back to what I was saying about that self-belief and that self-reflection growing up probably by myself in a lot of ways we didn't have a lot of people around when you live sort of 30 k's from a really small town so you learn to be comfortable with who you are you learn to be comfortable and acknowledge yourself and what what you're going to be doing and how you're going to be doing it. So I didn't shy away from the fact that I wanted to play, I wanted to help the team. And, you know, it's important for my teammates to hear that sort of information. I think I've got it right by saying that around this time as well, you developed a a superstition for wearing zinc cream in every game. But the problem for your AFL debut was that it came under the roof and under lights at the then Telstra Dome, I think, against Essendon in round two, 2008. What, what did you do that night when it came to the superstition? Yeah, that was um, that was an interesting one. I, I probably just got so used to wearing zinc in WA every time we'd play over here, you know, 2 p.m. in the Arvo with the waffle. It was always uh, plenty of sunshine, very little cloud cover, so got sick of getting burnt. Thought I'd put some zinc on and sort of kept doing it and became a bit of a, you know, part of the I guess tradition for me, you know, put your boots on, you know, put your jumper on and the zinc on sort of before I went out. So not a superstition as such, but more just a part of my sort of warm up and tradition. Mm. And yeah, certainly didn't need it quite as much in Geelong. I uh, certainly didn't need it at uh, Telstra Dome. And I just, I would have looked like a real flog, I think, if I had a 
run out with that in my first game at night. So probably not the, not the best decision. So I steered away from it. 2008, it, it ended in disappointment in the in the grand final against Hawthorne. But you're named the club's best first year player. You make 21 appearances, and, and Mark Thompson, the coach at the time, did show some great faith in you. How did you reflect on that first season? It was it was amazing first up. Yeah, it was. It was. Um, oh, I was fantastic. I, I learned so much. One thing I was very very fortunate to do was get to play on these great players in my very first sort of NAB Cup game. You no know, playing on already some stars. The second one was Jonathan Brown. I remember Fraser Gehrig. Um, all these absolute sort of stars of that time and that era. I was able to play on them, and I guess that's what I'm, you know, so grateful for. That Matty Scarlett, Tom Harley, and these boys had faith and trust to allow me to do that. And I probably saw that then allowing them to play their natural games rather than have to go and stand on, you know, one of the really great players of the opposition. I could take that void and um, try to do the best I could, and allow them to sort of, you know, shine and prosper in what they need to do for the team. So as I said earlier, I conceded a lot of goals early on, particularly at training. And I remember Moon, Cameron Mooney, kicking multiple goals on me at training, you know, all the time, and you know. I'd home and sort of kick the dog as to speak and be pretty flat about it but always wanting to learn and always wanting to do better next time and mm. that was how I approached that first year. Better certainly conceded a lot of goals on different occasions and just wanted to keep getting better and, and wanted to try to learn and, and do the best I could for the team. Well, you and the team go one better only 12 months later, 2009. A thrilling premiership win against St Kilda. You keep Nick Rewalt, your opponent, to one goal. You take a critical mark from a late kick-in from Darren Milburn to basically ice the game. And it was said at the time, Harry, that you played three quarters of that game with a broken hand. Yeah, it was an amazing experience as well. Obviously, um, having a year before where we lost, everyone was pretty determined day one of pre-season to turn that around. And as the year played out, there was plenty of twists and turns. I remember we lost to the Bulldogs pretty late in the season, um, which was... You know, probably something in, in the way that helped us. We went to Matty Scarlett and, uh, you know, talked about a few things and, and sorted out a few things that we thought we needed to do better. But the game itself was just so intense. It was unbelievable. And I sort of had a few spalls in that game and something happened to my hand pretty early on. I wasn't exactly sure what it was. And obviously adrenaline helps. But you keep playing the game... Keep, keep playing the game out and yeah it was funny the last mark of that game if you watch the replay from behind the goals I just can't believe how close Rewalt was to actually smothering it and you know potentially turning around kicking a goal and who knows what it would have happened but they say it's a game of inches and I reckon there was millimetres in that um, deciding you know potentially a a different result, which is uh, which is phenomenal considering you know how much effort energy goes into the whole season. It was an incredible game, one of the great grand finals that one. And a couple of years later, 2011, the decider against Collingwood. You had Travis Cloak, Harry. He was in a menacing mood early on in that game. Yeah, he was. Another you know phenomenal build up to that one. We were in probably a little bit. I thought better condition going in. With um, we've been playing pretty well throughout the finals, uh, albeit I think Collingwood might have been favourites um, going into that game, but. Yeah, he. I played on him. I think the last round of the home and away season did a pretty good job. I think he kicked a goal. He might have sort of had eight or nine touches, and perhaps he, you know I think he might have got a little bit of an injury in the game, which helped me certainly. But I went into that game really confident, really well prepared, and um, you know unfortunately from my point of view, he just kicked two absolutely amazing goals, both from outside uh, 50 or 60 meters, as as we know he could have done. Mm. Um, and yeah, that was that was amazing to sort of to see. And then I was sort of going through what I had prepared and how I was trying to play and you know, trying to fight through all that stuff, which was which was difficult. Fortunately, um, Tom Lonigan, um, as we would have done our whole career, said, look, I'll give you a hand. Um, I'll play on him for a while and, and you play on, I think it was uh, Chris Dawes. 
So we swapped over um, and, you know, he did a fantastic job for us in the second half and I was able to sort of come off and help and influence a little bit more in the air. But, um, yeah, it was a, a phenomenal game and another... Yeah, another great grand final to win. Yeah, you still had a terrific game, though, and it, and it was amazing to see the bond and, I guess, the chemistry you had with other members of that back six over a long period of time. You know, Scarlett, Tom Lonigan, you mentioned, uh, Mackie, Enright, the list goes on. There was a real understanding there. And, and Harry, what was it? what's it like to win an AFL premiership? I mean, your two medallions would, I assume, be the, the undoubted highlights of your career. Yeah, it's just amazing, all the work that you do. Um, you know, it would have been fantastic to win one, obviously, uh, the season just gone. See how my emotions and reactions would have compared to, obviously, very early on in my second year. Um, I dare say, you know, I would have been probably a little bit more satisfied for other people that have helped me on the journey. You certainly learn to be more grateful around what people do to help you get where you are towards the end of your or, or end of your career. So I certainly would have loved to see, you know, a lot of our supporters and a lot of people um, who have helped me really smiling and and happy with with my success. They are an amazing feeling, and it's a feeling that lasts for a long time. I, I can remember going into pre-season every single session, the following year after you've won, and you've just got this smile on your face. Everything just seems just a little bit easier. And that's probably why teams, you know, can back it up and be successful uh, generally for a few years in a row. What you need to guard against is that happiness then becoming complacency. Um, and that's something that, um, you know, potentially can creep into teams that have some, some success over a long period of time. And individually speaking, I mean, you played some real quality football right up until the end, which not everyone's capable or lucky enough to do. And when I look at it, I think you limped into the club as a 21-year-old and you limped out as a decorated 34-year-old. You didn't exactly have a running gate, Harry, that would make Hayley Gabrisalesi blush, did you? <laughs> no way. I, uh, I might have gone to the Olympics for the Pierre de Coubertin uh, award, but I certainly wasn't going there to compete, that's for sure, especially in the track and track and field. I, uh, I've always had a bit of an ungainly gait, if you like. You saw Harry Senior walk. Uh, it's not too dissimilar to his. And if you <laughs> see James Junior walk, it's probably uh, probably not too dissimilar either. So there must be some sort of genetic component to it. But I remember early on in my career coming in and the physios having a bit of a look at me and thought, gee, we've got some work to do with this bloke. He's got a, a minus 20 sit and reach test. He, uh, you know, he's got nowhere near his toes. He can barely sort of look like he can put one leg in front of the other. But fortunately for me, they didn't tamper with my technique too much they uh they said look you've been doing it for a fair while now we'll allow you to keep doing it unless until you get injured fortunately i didn't get injured so they didn't have to actually go and change too much no you were the ultimate professional though weren't you i mean there's a story that after the 2009 premiership against st kilda that we just spoke about there was a obviously a party back at cadinia park as there is naturally and tom lonningan tells the story about going down to get something out of his locker that night and finding you in the ice bath you've just won the flag and you're doing your recovery in the ice bath yeah well uh, for two reasons one that game was just unbelievably hard I hadn't um, felt my legs like that ever it was just a phenomenal phenomenal game of footy to be a part of so I did need to do some recovery considering that there was probably going to be a few more sort of drinking sessions and whatnot over the next sort of week or so So I wanted to be well prepared for that and I guess it speaks to my personality about preparation you know whatever I'm going to do I want to prepare for it as well as I could and I sort of I guess instinctively thought that would be a good thing to do. And the other part was I'd spent so much time in there trying to prepare uh, for that whole season and, you know, the year before as well. It just felt like a really satisfying moment to be able to sit down there with a nice sort of 
cold northern or whatever we had at the time and um, just relax and reflect and, and spend time in an environment where I had spent so many hours trying to think about that moment, which was, um, you know, the medal going around your neck. You're with This Is Your Sporting Life, brought to you by Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Just jump online to visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Well, Harry Taylor was loved by teammates and fans alike because he was different. Certainly, this was no stereotypical AFL footballer. And next, the stories that made Harry... Harry. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, we hope you're enjoying this week's edition of This Is Your Sporting Life. We're chatting with dual premiership Geelong defender Harry Taylor. Harry, can you really name the capital city of every country in the world, or has this had some mayo dolloped on it? This tech, this skill. No, nah, there's no mayo. I couldn't do it now. I'll be honest with that. But um, I certainly could have done it a few years ago. That's for sure. Well, I, uh, as we've spoken about, spent a lot of time in our recovery centre, and I guess it came about because I'd sit in the ice bath for ten minutes. Um, you know, probably twice a day, most days of the week. And I thought that's 20 minutes that I'm just sort of sitting here, not doing too much, obviously getting some of the recovery benefits of the water, but I should be stimulating my mind in some sort of way. Generally, you're in there by yourself. There wasn't too many other people to talk to. So one thing I wanted to do was work on my memory. Um, I wanted to improve my memory. So I'd go meet people. You'd meet lots of great people in the AFL world. And I um, I sort of always struggled to remember their name. I feel I wish I knew that person's name instantly. Um, I'd met him before, but I can't quite think of it. So what I looked up was a about word association and they said that's a really good way to actually you know improve your memory if you meet someone you know, think about something they're wearing something that they might have on their hat for example jewelry and and use that as a way to associate with things that are embedded in your long-term memory so I downloaded this app about world capitals and um, you know went to work trying to improve my memory and um, along the way I thought well if I can learn all the capitals you know that might come in handy at some point who knows I might be a quiz one day or it might be a um, question I get asked and I can throw that out and look pretty good at a party. So um, that was sort of the background behind doing it. It had a bit of master to it. And I dare say most of the things that might sound a bit quirky and a bit different, in my mind, I could always justify them and have some sort of reason for doing them. I love it. Uh, and I'm glad you mentioned party. It'd be a great party trick. You know, what's the capital of Latvia, Sierra Leone? Nothing would have been beyond you. Magnificent. Um, <laughs> when did the well-documented, it is well-documented, interest in war history begin, particularly World War Two? Yeah, that, that I can um, you sort of pinpoint it in a lot of ways. My great-uncle, if you like, so um, my would be my uh, nana's brother. He sort of served career and I guess growing up with him, you know, we would often go to his house and we came to Gerald to be able to talk and chat about different things. And he always had a few little bits of memorabilia around and I probably didn't understand it all that much back then, but I guess subconsciously was taking in a lot of the information that he was talking about and all the visual things that he had in his house. So that sort of sparked the interest a little bit and then it just sort of kept growing from there. I was really interested in leadership, really interested in teamwork and obviously a wartime environment gets to test those types of things to your highest capacity. So that probably kept fueling my um, interest in it. And I watched Band of Brothers, a, a sort of famous Steven Spielberg and Tom Hanks series, mm. um, one day at my unit in Perth in these old sort of rubbish cases at this movie um, blockbuster type sort of place where we used to be able to go and get movies for those that can remember. 
and there was nine of them and I got one I thought gee I've got to watch the rest now so watched the whole lot and just yeah absolutely fell in love with that series have um, you know read a lot of books associated with it tried to watch a lot of other things associated with it and just loved the teamwork the leadership and the learnings that you can get from something like that and my old man loves a cognac you do too so I'm not sure if this uh, they're linked the, the war history and the cognac but the late great Peter Burnett, who obviously ran the Lord of the Isles Tavern down in Geelong, always put a bottle aside for your Mad Monday, didn't he? Yeah, he did. That was uh, very, very kind of him. And, um, you know, rest in peace for Pete. But he was uh, you know, a big supporter of ours. And they are linked. I remember watching a lot of these movies. Um, and generally, the Germans would drink some sort of stuff called cognac. And I had no idea how to say it. No, I had to spell it. But I remember thinking, well, you know, I've got to have a go at this stuff. So I wandered down to the bottle shop as about an 18 or 19-year-old and couldn't believe the price of it. That was one thing that shocked me. I thought, geez, this is a, this is what I can afford as a uni student. But um, yeah, went and bought a bottle. I think the uh, bottle shop owner looked at me a bit sideways, had to sort of dust off the bottle because it didn't sell too many. But he said, here you go, mate. Good luck with it. I don't think you'll be back. But I'm, uh, yeah, a pretty loyal sort of character. And although I probably didn't really enjoy the first couple of mouthfuls, it was something I wanted to stick at. And I've come to come to really enjoy it, and particularly associate it now with you know times of celebration. I'm you know, not a, a big drinker or anything by any means, but when I do want to celebrate something, that's what I'll try to go to. And certainly, Pete was fantastic at being able to provide me that opportunity at all the times he used to go to Lord of the Isles. There is another drink though, Harry, that's been big in your life, and that's milk. Now, how many liters a day? Oh, gee, um, certainly in my playing days, it was high. Um, early on, it would have been particularly high. Uh, a lot of protein shakes and whatnot. I would have thought, you know, probably around the two to three liters um, early in my career, uh, which, you know, sounds like a lot, but when you put in breakfast, I, I wasn't drinking coffee back then, but three or four sort of protein throughout the day. And I guess, let's say a bit of yogurt and a little bit of ice cream type sort of setups as well from a dairy point of view. It's, yeah, it's probably around that two to three mark. It's uh, definitely not that at the moment. I dare say if I did, I wouldn't probably be in quite as good a shape as I'd want to be, nor would uh, my wife want me to be. Uh, because post-game, while your teammates were on the Gatorades and the Powerades and all that sugary stuff, you'd have the milk, wouldn't you? I would, yeah. I just love the taste of it, for one. But... Um, it was easy to drink. I mean, really nice cold milk. After you've been drinking Gatorade, Powerade, Hydrolyte, whatever, for you know generally 48 hours leading into the game, you're trying to feel yourself with all these great things that's going to help hopefully help you play better. I just felt like something a little bit different. So for me, the milk was nice, tasted nice, um, had some benefits in terms of some of the protein and stuff in it. But um, yeah, just a really nice cold glass of milk over ice is, um, I reckon, pretty hard to beat. And you considered camel's milk for a time, didn't you? What was that? Well, yeah, I tried a few different versions just to see if there was any other effects. And, <laughs> I guess me trying to prepare as best I can again. So why not try it, see what it does, see if it makes any difference. But um, yeah, I must admit, I just generally went back to the good old fashioned uh, brands that we know and love. Camel's milk would be a bit cost prohibitive, wouldn't it? And I'd imagine not so easy to access. No, that was probably one of the issues with it. I remember speaking to the dietitian and, um, you know, we threw up a few different ideas and, oh yeah, I want to try this and that. And what about camels? And uh, yeah, unfortunately, it wasn't the easiest thing to get hold of. <laughs> It doesn't feel quite right either when you sort of think about the process and all that sort of stuff. So, um, yeah, it ended up not being something I pursued. Now, the the ham shake with Josh Jenkins, it still makes me giggle. And I, I assume you haven't felt overly, I might have this wrong, but I assume you haven't felt overly comfortable in talking about it because we, we haven't heard a great deal about it in the years since. But 
If I can be so bold, can you possibly give us the accurate version of events here? Yeah, I'm happy. I'm happy to do that. I, obviously, I've retired now, but Josh is still going. But I hope you know he wouldn't mind me saying it. We had a good conversation about it one day on the way to Deakin University. I, <laughs> I guess my reluctance was a little bit because one, once you're playing on the field, those sort of things, you want those uh, stories to potentially stay within that environment. Yep. I felt a little bit bad um, because it seemed to me like you know Josh was getting a bit attacked, uh, particularly from the Adelaide media about it. There was certainly no malice in it whatsoever from my point of view and I wanted to make sure I let that be known to him when he first came to our club so the reason was he got food poisoning from what I can gather um, leading into uh, a game not too you know long before we went and played them and I was in week the, before uh, I think week before it might yeah, have been, might have been the week before something happened and he got food poisoning from I think it was ham so I remember reading that or talking to Paddy Dangerfield about it and they're really good mate and we're sitting in I think it was a playford in Adelaide prior to our game v Adelaide and um, you know your beautiful big smorgasbord of meats and selection of salads and whatnot they had before the game and I I said to Paddy, how do you reckon uh, it'd go, Paddy, if I uh, got a bit of ham, put it in my sock, and then went up to Josh after the game and shook his hand and gave it to him and said, you know, sorry about the food poisoning, not a not a great thing to have, that type of that type of story. And he yeah. said, yeah, he'll be fine with it. He, he, he won't f- sort of find that too too worrying at all. So uh, went along with the idea. Um, wasn't much, to be honest. Just a little bit in the sock and you know, wasn't going to affect me how I was going to play or anything like that. I sort of, you know, you can compartmentalise enough. I'd, I'd hope that I certainly could do that. And I was only going to do it if, you know, one, he played well and, and um, things went, you know, went the way that the game, and I, hope, I was hoping we would win, he would play well and, and all be good. So I didn't think much of it. Um, as it turned out, they won. Um, he played pretty well. I kicked a few goals for us, went forward and, um, yeah, saw him after the game, got the chance, and I thought, oh, gee, I've got that ham still on my sock. <laughs> so I uh, put it in and, and uh, gave it to him and, you know, didn't say too much um, because, you know, you're rushing after the game to go and shake everyone's hands. And um, as it turned out, I think he was a bit shocked by it and probably didn't know what it was and probably maybe thought he took it a bit to offence rather than just the, the fun and enjoyment of the whole situation. But yeah. um, since we sorted it out and had a good chat about it, but, yeah, that's, I guess, the... The summary of the story, which um, you know, some people might not have heard. No, I love it. I love it. And I did want to get it from the horse's mouth, so thanks for doing that. And before we take a break, Harry, I like this one too. A couple of years ago, I think it might have been, you drove a car from Perth to Melbourne. Your old man might have been with you. Now, am I right in saying you didn't want to or you refused to use the air con or turn the radio on just to... I'm not sure. It, I guess ensure the experience remained as pure as possible? Yeah, it didn't turn out like that. It was... Um, <laughs> It was always the intention. Um, we had a great chance to take my old car. So it was my first car I ever had, an old VX Commodore. Mum and Dad actually gave it to me. I had that in Geelong my whole playing career, bar my for the last couple of years. So I didn't see much sense in going to buy a brand new car when, you know, generally you just drive it to the footy club, park it outside all day, and most of us lived pretty close to the club, so we didn't have to go too far in luxury. So I thought, oh, I'll just keep with my old car, put the money into something else that might get a bit more value for me. So I'll stick with this, and um, yeah, it served me really well. But as my sort of career wound up, I thought, well, I'm, you know, might not be playing for much longer. I better take advantage of the, you know, the discount that Ford gives us to get a new one. So I did that. Um, needed to get my old car back to where it grew up, which is over in the Midwest. Dad was free, so I said, oh, let's drive it back. Well, there we go. It should should get there okay. Um, and we, yeah, we started driving. Away we went. Wasn't the intention, but I think it was about day two we got into it, and I go, geez, we haven't. Um, haven't put the radio on yet, Dad. And, uh, you know, he'd read the paper or we'd have a chat about different things. And he goes, oh, yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a good point. And uh, I said, oh, well, let, let's, um, you know, put it on, see what the weather's doing or something like that. Uh, he goes, yeah, that's, that's a good idea. The uh, the aerial will go up and that will affect our wind resistance with our fuel economy. Um, and I think he was sort of half serious and I was sort of pretty well half joking. But uh, 
And as it turned out, we didn't actually put the radio on for the rest of the trip. And the aircon, that just that just didn't seem to be something we needed either. We'd have the window down most of it and have a bit of a go that way. And yeah, if we got hot, we'd uh, sort of pull over or have a drink of water. And for some reason, it wasn't planned. The radio or the air conditioner just didn't find themselves on. I love it. I love it. We're talking to Harry Taylor on This Is Your Sporting Life. Thanks to Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. Harry did like to write things down, as you've heard. So we'll talk footy's version of the Black Bull. Next. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. It's been great to have your company here on This Is Your Sporting Life, thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Former Geelong star Harry Taylor is our guest today. Harry, you famously kept a book of opponents down the years. Now, some media mayo or GST, whatever you like, has been dolloped onto this to the point where I think at one point it had you documenting every player you'd ever played on, but... Again, for the record, who's in the book? Yeah, so uh, I guess it was part of my way to prepare as best I could. It's it's pretty it's easier to do as a defender generally when you're a key defender. Certainly when I started, you'd try to play on a matchup and, and be that case for most of the game. Um, we did play zone and whatnot, but generally you had someone you were responsible for, and that's certainly my case. So part of my preparation, I'd watch the opposition player who I'd had coming up, generally sort of three or four weeks in advance if I could, have a bit of a look at some of their strengths, some of their tendencies, if you like, how I'm might go about playing on them and definitely how the opposition move the ball into them so how the ball comes into that player and I think um, that if you watch enough if you actually start to look for those trends you, you can start to see some pattern which I think every single player has particularly under pressure particularly in big moments so watching at the start of the game for example or watching just before uh, or just after sorry half time when you first came back come back out you've been addressed by the coach is generally two times when you're going to try to do exactly what the coach has asked you to do or your teammates have asked you to do so those are two moments which I felt were best to actually watch and, and get information about my opponents and that worked well for me I'm someone who likes to write things down um, like to keep notes record data and um, that was a good way for me to be able to for example on the train up to the game I'd be able to sit there and um, you know flick through that and say okay these are the things I've got to really focus in on we might be on the plane going somewhere I could pull that out and have a bit of a look and go okay these are some of the things that I, I need to do this week to play well and where's the book now Harry so I've still I've still got them all um, I, I kept sort of 13 years of diaries right. whilst I was playing as well on all sorts of different events that happened whether they'd be funny whether they'd be sad every single training run I, I ever did I'd write something about it. it might be the distance we ran might be some of the drills we did uh, it might be about some sort of act that training which I just thought was inspirational that I might be able to reflect on down the track so they're all sort of stored away just at, um, here in the Midwest at the moment one thing that's been good since retiring is being able to sort of you know flick back through them and see what I wrote about Nick Rewalt when I started compared to what I did towards the end or you know what we did in 2012 in the pre-season and being able to compare some of that information to what I did towards the end of my career yeah it's been a really good learning exercise certainly helped me in the short term and definitely helped me um you know it's going to help me now that I've finished up with footy yeah for sure and did you at ever any point find yourself going back say if it was a player like Nick Rewalt going back to the book before you were playing him you know maybe later on in your career or you didn't use it in that way yeah yeah definitely so that's sort of how I would use it so I'd update it um in terms of the black book if you want to call it that not sure if it was black or not actually it might have been (laughs) might have been um yeah just an old sort of A4 type school book where you would have got back in the day black book sounds Um, better bind it as well yeah it does sound (laughs) 
it does sound better. It makes it um, it makes it a bit more classy. But uh, yeah, I would definitely just keep reflecting on it, keep updating information. So, for example, he sort of changed the way that he played towards his end end of his career. Um, certainly, St Kilda changed the way that they played compared to when he first started or when I was starting against him. So, being able to update, stay relevant in terms of that information was really important. And I'll just, you know, cut and paste or add things in depending on how I thought the trends were going. So you obviously played on the most dangerous forwards of your generation, Harry. Who who stands out now when you look back on it? Who who were the most difficult to combat? Who who gave you the most stress on game day, do you think? Oh, geez, a, a lot of them. That's one thing I do remember pretty fondly is going into a game with a fair bit of stress based on, you know, who I was going to be coming up against because, you know, provided you could sometimes do a really good job but still get goals kicked on. You Travis Cloak in the grand final was a great example. Mm. Just kicked some amazing goals and you are very reliant on how your teammates are going around you. You need your defenders to help you and that's probably one of the reasons why we tried to be so tight with each other. We just didn't want to let each other down from that sense and certainly your midfield and your forward group, they need to respect how hard it is as well and help you in that journey and trying try to help you do your job. So there were some amazing players. Jonathan Brown in my second ever uh, my second or third NAB Cup game went down to the goal square and he punched me in the gut seven times to say hello <laughs> I thought this is going to be a tough day so <laughs> that was uh, that was a really good sort of public uh, initiation to what AFL football is going to be about Nick Rewalt's running ability was just unbelievable and the 2009 home and away game, the classic one where I got knocked out late, just being able to see how he could exploit that to his advantage and help his team was something that I, you know, talked about a lot to my teammates and other junior players that I still help coach today. Will and drive to um, push himself beyond where he thought he could physically go was was really inspirational to see. And I remember sort of telling him that in a letter um, once I finished my career. So. He certainly had that capacity and probably more of the modern times. I don't want to sound biased here, but Josh Kennedy from West Coast, just phenomenal how much he does for his teammates and how selfless he is. Um, yes, you know, we know how powerful he is and how strong he is and all those types of things, but his selflessness is something that really stands out for me. And that can be difficult to play against because he could take you away from where you want to be purely to help out his teammates. And he does that really, really well. Just with the letter to Nick Rewalt, was that something you did with, with any other players that you spent a lot of time alongside on a game day over the years? Or was that just reserved for Nick? No, I did that with, um, it wasn't many opposition players. One that I played on a lot, had a lot of respect for. And then I guess we had a, yeah, a really good relationship on field. We you know, started to Good, try to help our team win um, and you know, so collectively but uh, he was one that um, you know I stay in touch with now and, and wanted to always thank or give a gift when it was a celebration coming up um, and you know in terms of his footy career um, so it wasn't that many from an opposition point of view but certainly the people that have helped me along the way I, I made sure that when I retired it might be a bit different to some but I wanted to thank them the right way and, and send them some words so just yeah really so Thank you for everything that they helped me with. And were you a talker, Harry, or did they talk to you? No, on field, I wasn't a, I wasn't a sort of big talker, particularly with the guys I had a lot of respect for. It was generally a shake of the hand and then um, go as hard as you could and then you might actually, after the game, you know, say thanks. But albeit, it wouldn't be much, to be honest. Yep. The only time that I did speak to them would have been um, when we went on in international rules trips, for example. That was a, a great experience I got in my career. Got to sort of sit on the plane right I think it was to Ireland with Nick Rewalt sitting next to me and um, had played on him so many times had a lot of respect for him and you know sitting next to him and talking to him it was amazing how many things we actually had in common that was uh one thing that I was yeah, taken by, we both love our diving, both got a bit of a affinity towards 
some of the stuff associated with what we spoke about around the war and leadership, those types of things. So, yeah, phenomenal that a bloke to have a lot of respect for and you play on for so many you know, games of your career. Um, actually likes to do some similar things to what you do. How many op- how many opportunities did you have, Harry, to go home to WA with uh, Michelle and the family? I mean, how many offers legitimately emerged over the years? Uh, not that many. We'd always um, we'd always come back here in our off season and spend a bit of time. But um, there was a chance two thousand and uh, I think it was the end of two thousand and twelve. Might have been two thousand thirteen. Sorry, we were at a point where I was coming out of contract with Geelong. We had at that point a couple of kids. Uh, one was just about to start or getting closer to starting school. And so we needed to work through a few of those things as well. We had some sort of sickness in the family and we needed to work through all those types of things to work out, yeah, where we were going to spend potentially the next part of our life. Um, we wanted to be sort of pretty settled from that point of view. And that's probably when the first time um, I spoke to any other clubs, uh, particularly the TWA club, about that opportunity. So it was never really for our decision about money or term of contract or anything like that. It was purely, are we going to go back to WA and, and live our lives there and play some footy or are we going to keep doing it in Geelong? And I guess from our point of view, or certainly from my point of view, I, I just love the Geelong Footy Club. I loved everything about the people and what we did. That grass green on the other side type mentality, it may well have been, but I just wasn't sort of ready to, I guess, take that take that uh, dive or that risk. Yeah, well, you're back there now, but I imagine you'll be coming back to Geelong pretty soon because you're due for the 10-year, all things being equal, of course, and we can travel the 10-year Premiership reunion for 2011 this year. That's come along quick. Yeah, it has. I remember the 2009 one, you know, that came around really fast. This one's certainly come around quick too. So, yeah, we talked a bit about, you know, what the Premierships mean and the great things about them earlier on in the show. That's certainly one of the great about, you know, winning the Premierships is being able to do something with mates that's going to last a lifetime. Um, you know, 10 years is first of hopefully a lot of celebrations where we get together, you know, still talk about the same old jokes, still rib each other like we normally would about how much weight someone's put on or what shirt they've got on. And yeah, very, very hard to see those bonds ever being broken. So um, really looking forward to that opportunity. All things being equal, hopefully sometime this year. Harry Taylor, it's been great to catch up today. I mean, you had an incredible journey and a later start did absolutely nothing to stop you having a tremendous career for an amazing footy club. You're enormously respected for your deeds on the field and the best part of it is you did it your way as well. Well done on all you achieved and thanks for joining us. No worries at all. Thanks very much for having me on. And thank you for joining us also. You've been listening to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Jump online to findintobinbrothers.com.au and we'll catch you the next time we celebrate the life of another sporting icon. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now.